guys! Welcome back to your Worth More Than a Number, a weekly podcast where I share experiences and advice for people going through it, recovery, recovered, or just want some encouragement. This week, I have a very special guest. And actually, for the next two weeks, I'm going to have a very special guest. She's very near and dear to my heart and to my recovery, and I'm going to be chatting with my nutritionist, Kate Bruno. So this week, we are going to be talking about her whole eating disorder story experience and what it's been like for her as a recovered adult. So let's welcome Kate. Mm -hmm. I thought we could start with um, your story and like Mm -hmm. that. So hi, Kate. Welcome to my podcast. It's an honor to have you here since you're very near and dear to me. And my recovery. Um, I was wondering if today you could talk a little bit about your eating disorder journey and kind of recovery. I would be happy to. Thank you so much for having me. It's definitely an honor to do this. It's my first time, so bear with me (laughs) if I stumble. Um, I'd love to talk about my own journey. I don't talk about it very often. Because when I work with my own patients, there's just so much for us to cover and so much that they need to talk about that um, every now and then they ask me questions and invite me to share some of my own experience, but I don't usually. Sorry, I heard something in the background. (laughs) You're fine. You're fine. Okay. Um, I don't usually share my whole story, so this will be interesting and hopefully I can remember some of the details that will make it seem relevant. Um, So when I was 10, I'm going to go back to actually before my eating disorders started. Okay. Um, I was 10, I was in fifth grade and I pretty much had it made. I was kind of on top of the world. I loved my friends. Of course I was, you know, the oldest in my school. I had the best teacher ever. And I felt really well connected to my peer. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a best friend since the second grade and she was more like a sister to me. She lived just, just down the road and we'd walk to each other's houses and I loved spending time with her and her family. My parents were both very busy uh, with their work and they weren't home a lot. And her family was like my second family. Mm-hmm. And um, when we got to fifth grade, she started to kind of befriend people that were in the quote unquote popular group. <laughs> so I I didn't readily transition over and follow her to that group because I kind of felt a, a bit excluded and passed over uh, because she really wanted to spend more time with them than me at that point and it was sad for me to lead to, to lose, you know, somebody so near and dear to me and feel like, you know, I was kind of losing my place in terms of what I had always identified as being, you know, a big, big part of my life. Um, and on top of it, this particular group of girls, this popular group was sort of ahead of me in terms of their, um, kind of interest in boys and dating and, you know, shaving and, and, you know, breast development and all, all things related to becoming, uh, more mature teenage girls. And I felt scared. I was not really ready for that. 
and definitely felt like I was growing up faster than I wanted to by being around them. So I really struggled with this separation of a part of me feeling like I still wanted to be a little kid and life was changing faster than I wanted it to. And there was this great sense of kind of loss and grief over the transition with that friendship. And I definitely felt alone. I felt really alone um, with my feelings because it wasn't something kids readily spoke about. Um, So I, I definitely found myself trying to fit in with them because I had really no other option. And in trying to fit in, um, I heard a lot of them talking about their bodies and their sizes and dieting. And many of them would sort of um, skip lunch and flirt with boys. And and I just still wanted to be a little kid. I was really not into that. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up um, doing my best to fit in, but really faltering and kind of being on the outskirts of that group for quite a while. Um, and I, I did start at the same time, um, to take dance classes with a different group of girls. Um, actually it was sort of a crossover of some of the popular girls and then some other girls. And so I, uh, started to, of course, be in this environment again with people who were body focused and Uh looks focused and, um, in trying to kind of navigate all of that. I just started to think a lot more about what I could control because there was so much that I couldn't. And I I wasn't consciously trying to control, but I sort of, um, through a lot of anxiety and distress and loneliness, combination of kind of lost my appetite and felt like um, I needed to be conscious of what I was eating, uh, in part because... (laughs) I don't know if you remember this, but in (laughs) elementary and middle school, they do have this um, check-in with the nurse where the nurse will check your your hearing and your vision and and also your weight and height. Oh, yeah. My PE teacher did that, not the nurse. Right. It's so weird. So they did it in PE too. So I ended up um, going to that appointment and everybody was coming back and talking about their weight. And I happened to, of course, have never known my weight before, but this was the first time I did. So it was like the perfect storm. She told me my weight and it looked like to me, like I was bigger than I was because my weight was the exact same or a couple of pounds more than some other girl who was sitting at my table who I had always kind of considered to be a little overweight. Yeah. And granted, you know, we had entirely different body types and we were different heights and things like that. But of course, you know, the insecure part of me that was really feeling um, out of control at that point was affected by that. And I started to think, well, you know, maybe something's not right. Maybe I need to control this. And um, again, to add to the perfect storm, uh, at that same time, this is all kind of between fifth and sixth grade. At that same time, uh, my mom started to walk with some friends of hers and Somehow, you know, that was new. My family, my parents had never been active um, and, you know, always normal eating and and not really any um, exercise regime or anything because this was, again, back in the early 80s. So it was before the before the fitness craze. Um, So my mom started to take up walking and then also. Uh, my dad was a functional alcoholic. He was an attorney who was 
very busy at work and then would come home and have a drink every night and really couldn't settle down or tolerate us until he had a drink. And Mm -hmm. so of course that affected the whole energy of the whole household. And, um, in some ways I just didn't feel, um, I didn't feel completely at ease just having all of my feelings, right? It was, I didn't want to add to the mix of stressors between my parents both being very busy with their jobs and my older brother having his own, you know, emotional um, swings and stressors. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to be even keel. And so I think that I buried a lot of my emotion through control of food and trying to be the good girl and trying to be the peacekeeper and um, kind of numbing out that way and trying to fit in that way, even though, of course, restriction only brought me further and further away from my peer group. Um, so fast forward several months and I ended up, um, you know, losing weight pretty rapidly, probably over the course of about six months. And my parents quickly recognized that there was a problem mm-hmm. and sought help. Uh, there was hard to find help because at the time eating disorders were not even known. And I would say for me, the biggest tip off uh, to know that I was not well was actually more psychological. I, all of a sudden I just noticed that I couldn't laugh like I used to, and uh-huh. I wasn't interested in anything I used to enjoy And I felt anxious and irritable all the time. And I didn't feel like myself. And I just felt numb. I felt like I was not the same person anymore. And it scared me. And I didn't know if it was just a transition or if it was just, you know, what was going on with my friends. I didn't actually even connect it to the food restriction. And my parents um, knew that something was wrong. And they figured out that it was an eating disorder and got some really good help. But Mm -hmm. very quickly, the therapist decided and my parents decided it would be best if I went to um, a hospital. And that was just because there were no treatment centers at the time. It wasn't really established like it is now. And so the hospital I went to uh, was called Long Island Jewish Medical Center. And they had a a pediatric unit Mm -hmm. that had all kinds of, you know, young people there with cystic fibrosis and cancer and all different types of ailments to include eating disorders. And so there was maybe a handful of us, like six six or eight who had eating disorders there. And I hated it. I went kicking and screaming. (laughs) (laughs) I did not want to be there. And it was very much a hospital setting. Um, It was not pretty or homey or comfortable like a lot of the you know, residential programs are today. Yeah. Um, And I was highly motivated because uh, I did see one girl there who had a tube feed and that completely freaked me out. I was only 11 years old (laughs) at this point. Yeah, Um, you were young. I was very young. And so that just freaked me out. And I also just saw girls doing things and acting ways that I had never considered. And that seemed incredibly uh, fought like, hard to even wrap my head around Um, things like hiding food in napkins and, you know, walking in place and just trying to do all of these things that obviously their disease was making them do, but mine had not gotten to that point at all. And so it scared me because I saw what could happen if 
if there was no nothing to interfere with my illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just didn't want to be that way. <laughs> and it did not look desirable at all. I was not envying these people. I was scared of what was happening in their lives. And so yeah. um, I was highly motivated. I actually had a 21-year-old peer who was in the program with me who kind of took me under wing and I think saw to it as her mission in life that I not end up like her when I was her age. Yeah. (laughs) And that was just a beautiful gift. She really was incredibly kind with me and, and supportive. And that was huge. Um, so I, I left, um, that clinic and it it was just a really intense program. I I don't know how long I was there. It might've been two months. It was over the course of the summer, I think between sixth and seventh grade. And, Um, I left that program highly motivated to never, ever, ever have to go back again. And so I needed to prove to my parents and myself that I could handle the rest of recovery Mm -hmm. and never relapse. And I was on a mission. Um, And I definitely still had outpatient support, uh, although at the time, again, it was really hard to get resources. And even though I lived in um, Westchester County in New York, which is, is now, you know, full of resources. At the time, there were little to none. And we would drive two hours each way every week to go to therapy and things like that. It was, it was very much um, slim pickings in terms of treatment. And so I had to do a lot of the research on my own and a lot of self support and and self care to figure out my recovery. Um, There was no internet, there was no way to, you know, reference other people's journeys. Um, And so in many ways, I think that was a blessing because I really had no choice but to process things, you know, in my own time, in my own space and, um, and in a way that felt right to me and, and not, you know, in a way that necessarily, you know, mirrored somebody else's journey. And so it was really my own personal um, experience. And so I would say probably within um, maybe a year and a half or two years or so after coming back from treatment, um, I had pretty much normalized my eating. And, um, again, it was a very short period of time that I was intensely restricting and then a very quick turnaround in terms of weight restoration. I had fully restored my weight by the time I got out of the hospital. So within a matter of a couple of months. So after the hospital, I was working on just normalizing my relationship with food and really developing healthier relationships with friends. Yeah. Um, so I sat with a new group of girls uh, at lunch, which was really challenging. Um, you know, changing the tribe that you're with at that age is incredibly hard and oh, yeah. awkward. <laughs> and so that was a big stretch for me, but it was one of the best things I could have done. And I still am feel forever indebted to that group of friends who um, welcomed me and they were a close knit group and they welcomed me, me with open arms and didn't look at me in any, as, as any differently than any of them and invited me and included me in everything and ate normally and just modeled being a healthy adolescent. And I am just so grateful that I could find that in a group of friends. Um, yeah. So that was a huge turnaround. Um, was it? And then, go ahead. Was it hard? Um, like, 
even though you were like weight restored coming out of the hospital, was it, did that have any like factor? Like, did it make it hard to keep fighting once you were out of the hospital or were you so um, motivated to not go back there that you didn't even think about that? That's a good question. I'd like to think the latter, (laughs) Uh, thinking back on it. But I am confident that there were likely a lot of instances and a lot of times where it was hard to keep fighting and where I felt kind of pulled back in. Mm -hmm. Um, I did have sort of a temporary, uh, almost kind of alternate form of Ed in that I was very, very comfortable eating whatever, whenever, and actually to the point of overeating at times, which is perfectly normal after you've restricted for so long. Yeah. But I started to depend on exercise, which it was not a thing that I used when I was restricting. So you kind of like came back and had a new vice that you were. Yes. Yeah. And it, it seemed perfectly reasonable to begin with because all my friends were either on the swim team or doing dance or track or whatever. And so, um, I just, you know, joined in, in terms of extracurriculars, but it mattered more to me than it did to them. I thought about it a lot more. I, uh, you know, sort of, I I just became more ritualized about it than they did. And so emotionally, I think that became kind of my new crutch. Um, I also started to get involved with weightlifting and that was something that uh, really empowered my recovery because I felt like uh, I could identify with the idea of being strong and I really loved seeing myself week upon week get stronger and stronger as I was gaining weight and restoring muscle mass. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, I mean, that became somewhat of a fix too because I just, you know, was the the gym and weightlifting and it, nothing cardiovascular, but definitely uh, lifting weights. It was like um, my outlet, right? It was yeah. It was the thing that I would pour a lot of my emotion like into. Like my baths when I used to take baths. That's- Correct. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, it, it was complicated because I had a mentor there who took me under wing, and I mean, this was like a hole in the wall gym where. I was one of the few women there. It was all a bunch of guys who were, you know, on steroids and lifting super heavy weights and there didn't exist a single piece of cardio equipment. I mean, it was just a bunch of old ratty dumbbells and barbells, but I had a friend, a mentor who took me under wing and like taught me how to do everything safely. And I think a bit, I think I, I loved going to the gym even more so because I got to see this woman, Millie, who was my mentor, um, she was sort of the front desk lady um, there. And she, she just, uh, you know, she was a safe uh, companion for me. She was a comfortable, safe space and somebody who didn't know my friends. And, you know, she was older and, and just a really valuable mentor. And so I think that it was good in many ways, but obviously it, it had the potential to become not so healthy, right? Yeah, yeah. I handled it. So I had to navigate that. So that was probably a ripple in terms of, you know, um, needing to be in recovery and find a way to um, kind of uh, tone down (laughs) my (laughs) dependence on, um, particularly on weightlifting. Yeah. And I did. interestingly, because over time, I actually became a personal trainer. I was so passionate about it 
And I started to really see the value in resting and how important, how rest days and off seasons and, you know, times where you're actually not pushing heavy weights around is actually one of the best ways to get stronger. And I really learned to value the, um, the rest component of training. And it was surprising to me. I thought, boy, you know, so neat that as I became certified as a personal trainer, I more and more actually appreciated um, the non-exercise pieces of being a strong athlete versus the exercise. I know. And it's so, it's so funny because like you see in society that uh, taking a break or like missing a day of exercise is like shunned and like you Mm -hmm. will be like, you should feel terrible about yourself. It shows a sign of weakness and all that. Mm -hmm. But like in reality, you being a personal trainer, like being a trainer Mm -hmm. knows that like, Actually, resting is – you shouldn't be pushing yourself really hard every day. You need mm-hmm. that rest to – Yes, yes. And I actually see that and understand that more and more over the past 20 years that I've done this because, of course, I see it in people that I work with where they have adrenal fatigue or thyroid problems or, you know, constantly high cortisol levels and, you know, they're getting injuries and their athleticism is not as good as it could be and – their metabolism's messed up. And I see all these consequences um, day in and day out with my patients. Um, but of course, back, you know, when I was learning it, it was all just kind of textbook stuff. I, I didn't really see it around me, but I definitely learned it more, um, you know, intellectually first. Um, so, I mean, that was sort of a side note about, <laughs> you said sort of an alternate vice yeah. <laughs> and, and how that came in. But I did eventually uh, neutralize that. And a big piece of neutralizing that was working on my emotional recovery, which I did through uh, very much through art, um, Mm -hmm. through art and writing and um, also through healthy relationships. I found that as my life became more filled out with like normal teenage relationships and interest in dating and kind of almost catching up with where my peers were in terms of my emotional development. Um, then I no longer, it's almost like I, I had a sense of myself that felt a lot more secure in the place that it was developmentally, um, versus kind of feeling like there was this, um, distance between where I was, psychologically and where I was emotionally, mm-hmm. um, or sorry, emotionally and physiologically. Um, yeah. so I ended up kind of catching up with my peers and feeling really connected to a good group of friends and interested in other things and other hobbies. And so my sense of purpose and identity started to, uh, you know, become more well-balanced and more developed and look a lot more like a typical teenager. And that, helped me tremendously in terms of not depending anymore on um, old methods of coping and my former identity of, you know, being kind of food and and exercise crazed. And so that um, just sort of the whole developmental experience of getting beyond middle school and into high school was huge for me. And I would say I felt kind of both emotionally and behaviorally fully recovered by the time I was about 15. Um, And at that point, I knew that there were little to no resources around in terms of, you know, helping other people who might go through this. And I knew that I wanted to 
uh, educate myself and, and learn how to become a resource for others. Yeah. How, yeah. Um, how long, so if you were 15, when you say, when you say you were, you would consider yourself recovered at the Mm -hmm. age of 15. So how Mm -hmm. long would you, are you, have you been recovered now? Oh, well now you're going to know my age. (laughs) So I'm about to turn 42. Yeah. It's been a long time. Um, Yeah. A long, long time. And I, I still remember when I, you know, got to college and I felt like I was so far, you know, so, um, solid in my recovery that I knew I could be a resource to others and I knew it wouldn't be, you know, triggering for me and, um, you know, that I could handle dealing with people who had their own eating issues. Um, I, I felt like, I felt like my eating disorder experience was like so far behind me, mm-hmm. but now looking back, it really wasn't that far, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But those last few years of high school, I was just solid. I was probably more comfortable with myself um, than I would have been had I never been through an eating disorder. Yeah. But now that you're recovered, obviously for a while now, <laughs> um, do you ever have like thoughts or anything that pop up every once in a while? Just that, and, but obviously you, you, are strong enough that you probably don't engage in them. But I just didn't know, like, do you still get occasional thoughts every now and then about your body or about what you're eating? Never. I I know that's like, I don't know if that's helpful to hear or hurtful (laughs) because I don't want people to think that if they do, that that's a problem, right? There are some people who can function that way in recovery and, you know, never relapse or, go back and, and, and act on their disorder despite thoughts. But, um, I don't, and I would say I probably did for, um, oh boy. I mean, probably until I was 15 or 16, but then not after that. Um, yeah. So, you know, I was very fortunate and I will say statistically speaking, the younger you are when you have an eating disorder and the sooner that there's an intervention and the sooner you weight restore, the less likely you are to have a relapse and mm-hmm. the more likely you are to quickly, you know, fully recover. And so I think that <laughs> I was very lucky. I was very fortunate um, in that my parents stepped in and in some ways it was a blessing in disguise that there were no resources around and they had to put me in the hospital. Yeah. (laughs) Because like, I think had I idled along and halfway like tried to recover behaviorally, but not had anybody like, you know, holding my hand to the fire kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I think I wouldn't have been as successful as quickly as I was and, and, and maybe, you know, not even fully recovered. I don't know. So I feel like, that all kind of happened for a reason. And I Mm -hmm. remember at a certain point thinking, well, yeah, I was really pissed off at them that they put me in the hospital. (laughs) But then several years later, I was like, I'm actually really glad they did that because I think had they never done it for me, I wouldn't have chosen to do it for myself. And I think I actually really, really benefited from it. Yeah. No, I was laughing when you were saying that because you tell me that all the time that the faster <laughs> yeah. the faster you do something like faster you 
restore and the faster you get like better and you start like actually like getting healthy again the less likely you are to like continue and like relapse (laughs) I've heard that so many times (laughs) right and it doesn't mean that if you've been you know dealing with Ed for 20 years that recovery isn't possible oh yeah it definitely doesn't mean that um but I just consider myself to be very fortunate for sure oh yeah and um no that I always forget that you got your disorder very young and Mm -hmm. I um when you were saying that like you were mad at your parents all like I know exactly I resonate with that like when they first sent me to you and like (laughs) I did not want to be there you probably remember I was like very very not wanting to be there I didn't want to do anything you were telling me to do I didn't want to do I didn't want to listen to you I just wanted to leave and (laughs) looking back on that I may not be recovered right now but looking back on that I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for that because right Right. I honestly would not have gone there myself. Like I really wouldn't. Yes. <laughs> I see that all the time. And actually I love uh, kind of the transformation that I see my patients go through where, you know, they, when they first come, many of them, you know, I'm like their enemy, right? Because I represent yes. the, probably mo- the most like <laughs> obvious threat to Ed as a dietitian. But like, I, I love how over time there's this transformation from, kind of coming in all disgruntled and grumpy and not wanting to hear what I have to say. And then eventually actually looking forward to talking with me or reaching out because they're desperate to hear what I have to say and like desperate to have some counter to their eating disorder and trust me. And so it's, it's really um, an amazing transformation to see people um, not only like come alive and go from basically being what I see as, you know, pretty much the disease sitting in my office to being this really, you know, well-balanced and well-developed, you know, incredible human being who can experience emotions and, you know, has, has just so much authenticity about them. Um, It's just such a gift to witness that transformation. And especially in terms of the transformation of our relationship and our dynamic over time. No, yeah. I love, I look forward to our talking every week. Good. I could be in a bad, I literally was telling someone this this morning that I could be in the worst possible mood, like mm-hmm. so bad. But then like when I'm done talking with you, I am like in this like amazing mood and I don't know why. Huh. I just, it's like. Hey everyone. I hope that you guys are enjoying the podcast just as much as I am. Uh, I just want to take a minute to interrupt the episode. I promise it'll be quick. I just want to interrupt for a second and thank this episode's sponsor. Wow. Guys, wasn't that just amazing to hear? Kate has been in my life for a really long time now, and it meant a lot to have her share her story on here and just be here to talk with you guys and share her inspiration and just her knowledge. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I do. But before you go, please subscribe if you haven't already and leave me a review because I love reading them. And the best part is that they're free and they help me to know exactly what you like and don't like about my podcast. Anyway, make sure you stay tuned for the next episode where I continue this conversation with Kate. 
and get excited because it's a fun one <laughs> and i love you guys so much and i can't express and thank you enough for your love and support it makes doing this so much easier for you guys and i will talk to you guys very soon